Welcome to the Lifeboat Hour, Sunday, October 4, 2015. We hope you're enjoying our new time on Sunday nights, which allows us to pre-record the show in advance and air it at a time when most folks can listen to the original broadcast. Remember that if you miss the first airing, the show is always archived within a few hours, and you can listen then. Well, what a week it's been with the outbreak of more violence in the U.S. as another massacre takes place on a college campus. Clearly, this is an indication of the extent to which the culture of industrial civilization has gone mad. And as the talk focuses once again on gun laws, which indeed must be changed, we remain in denial about the extent to which modern humans are traumatized and the extent to which they will traumatize others when adequate mental health treatment is not available. In the larger picture, of course, as a species, we remain in denial of the extent of the consequences of our destruction of the planet. And in my opinion, that is yet another form of madness. By and large, humanity has kept the snooze button active on the topic of abrupt catastrophic climate change. And those of you familiar with my work and this show know that I do not see the human species being willing to do anything about climate change, nor do I believe that at this point it is possible to avoid a cataclysmic, irrevocable global ecological tragedy of epic proportions as a result of climate change. Personally, I prefer not to hear the phrase saving the earth because I do not believe the earth can be saved, but I do believe that in the time remaining, and I have no idea how long that will actually be, there is much that we can do for each other and for the earth community. Save it. Not so much, but certainly we can be, as my friend Andrew Harvey says, love in action with our fellow humans and with other species who are disappearing at the rate of approximately 150 to 200 a day. Tonight we're going to talk about yet another way that we can be love in action as we paddle our lifeboats through the troubled waters of this planetary predicament. Now, before we get into our show tonight, I just want to let all of you listening in Northern California know that I'm going to be in your part of the world October 23 through 31. I'll be doing a major workshop in Sebastopol October 23 through 25 for the Earth Rights community and then traveling to Chico, Grass Valley, and Nevada City. To see the exact times and places and learn how to register for one or more of the events, uh, that I'm going to be doing in those places, uh, please visit my website at carolynbaker.net. You know, I can really hard, hardly wait to be back in Northern California. I miss you guys so much, and I really want you to join me there, October 23 through 31. Now, one thing we can do in the face of the global crisis is radically alter our living arrangements and radically alter our relationships. And my guest tonight is going to talk about his new book, The Power of Two, How Couples Can Change the World. He's author and therapist Jed Diamond, who is an expert in men's health. He's the founder and director of Men Alive, 
a health program that helps men and the people who love them to live well throughout their lives. He's a pioneer in the field of male gender medicine, integrative mental health, and planetary healing. And since its inception in 1992, Jed has been on the board of advisors of the Men's Health Network. He's also a member of the International Society of Men's Health and a founding member of the American Society of Men's Health. You can read his blogs from time to time in Third Age, Huffington Post, The Good Men Project, Good uh, Men's Stuff, and several other venues. And he's the only male columnist who blogs for the National Association of Baby Boomer Women. Imagine that. Diamond has been a licensed psychotherapist for over 40 years and is the author of 12 books, including the international bestseller Male Menopause that has thus far been translated, wow, into 17 foreign languages. He's also the author of The Irritable Male Syndrome, Understanding and Managing the Four Key Causes of Depression and Aggression, and Mr. Mean, Saving Your Relationship from the Irritable Male Syndrome. More recently, Jed has written Stress Relief for Men, How to Use the Revolutionary Tool of Energy Healing to Live Well, which was published by North Atlantic Books and distributed by Random House. His first book for children and adults who believe in saving the planet is titled Composting Abbey, A Whale of a Story, was published in February 2014. His Ph.D. dissertation, Gender and Depression, broke new ground in creating a better evaluation system for diagnosing and treating depression in men and women. He lives with his wife, Carlin, in Northern California, and they're the proud parents of five grown children and 13 grandchildren. Please do check out his websites, menalive.com and theirritablemail.com. Jed, welcome to the Lifeboat Hour. Well, Carolyn, thank you so much for letting me be on the show again. I, I so enjoy talking with you and your listeners because these are obviously very, very transformative times in all our lives. Absolutely, and uh, I think we're going to have a good time tonight. You know, uh, you and I go back about 25 years to a time when I was living in Northern California, and we were both writing books about gender and gender relationships, and I want to say at the outset that I'm a strong supporter of men's emotional and spiritual work, and perhaps we'll have time to talk about this, but I really see the beginning of Game Over for the, shall we say, patriarchal male-dominated way of living on the planet. And as my friend Guy McPherson says, nature bats last, and I think Gaia will always have the last word. So having said that, um, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. So uh, please, uh, I'd like you to give us some background, Jed, uh, on on the writing of your most recent book, The Power of Two, starting with a vision that you had in a sweat lodge in 1995. You talk about Civilization One and Civilization Two. So please tell us more. Uh, yeah, let me just say uh, at the outset, the, the new book that I, I'm writing, The Power of Two, is actually we decided is one of the chapters in the book and the the book itself is going to be called The Enlightened Marriage. So oh, wow. that's coming Love out it. next year, but I'm continuing to, to write about these ideas because they're, in a sense, so present in our lives. You mentioned at the, the outset about the latest 
you know, killings again of uh, mass shooting at a school. And I, I think we have to understand this through a couple of different lenses if we're going to understand what's going on. Uh, certainly we need to recognize these are, are men that are, for the most part, doing these, these mass shootings. It's rare that a, a woman does. And secondly, that as, as you say now and have for a long time in your work, that this is not just an individual guy gone off the rails. This is really part, you know, I think of uh, these guys as being the canaries in the coal mine indicating a, a world out of balance, uh, you know, a way of being that's just not sustainable. And this came home to me uh, at a SWAT lodge ceremony in 1995 where I saw a vision of the sinking of the ship of civilization. It was the mm. first time I had really had, you know, this kind of in-your-face view that, you know, the, the ship is going down. And in the vision, people didn't want to believe it. You know, this is an unsinkable ship. It just can't be sinking. And anybody that's saying it is are, are heretics and should be locked up. In fact, that's in the vision these people were locked up in, in the jails, but nevertheless, the water was rising, and eventually a number of people decided we got to get off the ship and started going over the sides into lifeboats. And in the vision, everybody had to be in their own lifeboat. You couldn't be in somebody else's. You couldn't get somebody else to take you to a new place. And as we would row out in a direction away from the sinking ship of civilization. In the vision, there was a new network of people, groupings of people that would form a, you know, a new way of life, uh, something that really was in balance and sustainable to the planet. Uh, so I really think of this as the, the civilization really is, the, is sinking, and we call that Civilization One. But there are some people, you know, most of the people in the vision wouldn't get off the ship. They either couldn't believe it was sinking, they didn't think there was anything better, or they had totally given up on, you know, life in the future. But a number of people said, I don't know what the future is going to bring, but I'm going to get off the ship. And we're forming a number of people, what I call Civilization Two or Civ Two. Right. that I think is certainly what I want to be doing in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it sounds like, a, you know, you sound very much like you're describing a Titanic 2.0, you know. Yeah. Um, and yeah. and it's, there, there are these folks, uh, many of us, and I think you and I are two of them, who, who are saying, we don't know where all this is going, but we want to get off this crazy empire that we're on. Right. Yeah. Right. So uh, now it seems that more and more people are recognizing this need to create a new way of life on the planet. And I wonder if you'd tell us uh, who you think some of these people are and what specifically from your own evolving perspective, your own passion for the Earth community and for other humans engendered this recognition in you. Yeah, well, there's a number of people uh, that I think are starting to recognize. There's probably a lot... Uh, more than many of us think, because as you know, the the media, the ma major mainstream media, are controlled by Civilization One people, and so the Civ Two people 
uh, I think, have a difficult time getting media attention. And in some ways, for many people, it's kind of dangerous to be uh, spouting these ideas. But I, I guess the, the person that, that made the most sense to me early on uh, was Daniel Quinn, who wrote a book called Ishmael in, in 1992. And it, it was interesting. It was in response to Ted Turner, who had offered a, 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 a prize, who called it the Turner Tomorrow Award, for the best fiction, best book that could really guide us towards the, uh, a new way of life that I think we were all beginning to feel was necessary. And Daniel Quinn uh, won that award in 1992 and then has since written a number of books, uh, including uh, one that's called Beyond Civilization. Um, and I, he didn't quite use these, these terms, but I think the idea was that we're so wrapped up in this dominator culture, this uh, we've got to somehow dominate the earth. We control things. We must be the dominant species on the planet. And I think we're beginning to recognize that rather than this being the, the, the way of the future, this is really a dead-end way of thinking because to see ourselves as separate from nature, to see ourselves as dominating nature, uh, this really puts us, you know, out of balance with nature, and if we keep on that path, I think the vision was very clear in saying this is a ship that's going down. So there is something beyond civilization, and I think of it as Civ Two, and I got that that notion of Civ Two from a a friend and colleague in New Zealand. Uh, so it's kind of like the other side of the <laughs> the planet. There's you know people coming together everywhere in the world. And this is a fellow named Mark Feenstra. And he had this idea that we really need to draw all these different elements together because the power of civilization one keeps us fragmented, keeps us from developing the best practices that can really give us some guidance for how we, how we emerge during this time, how we survive and, what we do with this sense that things are going under. And so he, he developed a mission that said, let's draw together both local and global entrepreneurs, uh, change agents, cultural creatives, technologists, really to create and, and share a working prototypes and stories about what will really help us inwardly in our relationships and our work and our lifestyles to really enable us the possibility of a civilization that works for all, for all people, for all, you know, living things on the planet. So this idea of Civ 2 is something that's taking shape now as we speak with clusters of people who are interested all over the world coming together to develop ideas locally and then to share them globally so that we can all get support from each other and take advantages of best practices that are going on all over the world. 
Yeah, and you know, I can't recommend Daniel Quinn's book, Ishmael, strongly enough. Um, I've taught it in college classes. Um, I've read it and reread it many times. It's, it's very dear to my heart. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned New Zealand, too, and Mark's work, uh, because I want to give a shout-out to a couple of my buddies and allies, uh, Robin Westenra and Kevin Hester, who are regular listeners to this show, who are very much uh, creators of Civ2 in in their part of the world. So, um, Jed, I don't have to tell you that we're in very, very troubled times, and that was brought home to us again yesterday with this massacre. We're a very, very troubled species, and we're in a time when our individual and collective trauma seem to be bouncing off everything and every everyone as we as we've seen again you know over and over uh in in our culture and and this collective trauma is far beyond the bounds of just psychotherapy or mental health treatment and i'd love it if you talk about this for a bit because i don't think a lot of people really get what collective trauma is and how we're being affected by it well the way i've come to conceptualize this and looking at this uh, through the years is that um, there, there was a, a time in human history. I mean, our ancestry, our human line goes back, you know, they're discovering new, new parts of our species back and back. So, you know, we're talking about maybe 2 million years, some say maybe 3 million years, you know, that we're part of obviously a, a lineage of, of life on the planet that goes way, way back. But there, there seemed to be a, a time where maybe about 10,000 years ago where we had this notion that instead of living on what the earth provided and living in balance with the earth, uh, we, we really needed to uh, get the earth under control. And that was the beginning of you know, large-scale agriculture uh, emerged after that, and then you had to hoard your food and protect it and had armies, and a lot of things emerged from that. And I think w- what, what's not recognized and what we see through a, a vision of Civ two was that this really emerged out of trauma, you know, and there seems to be some evidence that back even... 10,000 years ago, there was climate change in certain parts of the world in uh, what was the Fertile Crescent and began to lose the, the fertility of the earth. And the me- mentality then was we have to do something. And uh, as deserts started to spread in the Sahara Desert, uh, which used to be fertile part of the world, now those, those huge deserts formed, and it created not only a, a physical desert out there, but a desert in the mind, a, a closing down, a, a fearful way of being in the world. And so my, my you know, simple understanding of a very complex system is that as we began to see the earth then as something that we needed to exploit, I think what we did to the earth we began doing to ourselves because we're really not disconnected. We really are connected to the earth so that as we traumatize the earth, we began to traumatize ourselves. And what we did to ourselves, then we start doing to other people and then, you know, other parts of the living system. So as a therapist, when I work with individuals, often 
we get back to looking at some of the early trauma that occurred in our upbringing, you know, in our families, uh, from our parents, our grandparents, the people that, you know, we were closest to. And I, I began now to see beyond psychotherapy or beyond, as you say, mental health treatment, that we really need to be looking at not only healing our own personal trauma, but we also have to recognize that this is part of a cyclic trauma that is occurring in, in, in the earth. Yes. And that if we don't reconnect to the earth in a healing way, you know, we're going to continue to re-traumatize ourselves and re-traumatize yes. everything that we then touch and come in contact with. So I think what we're all looking for is, one, we have to acknowledge the trauma. We can't pretend that it didn't happen, that everything's wonderful, that civilization is just perking along and everything's fine. And periodically we get massacres, major floods, major climate change, that we, you know, all of a sudden we, we pay attention. But as you mentioned earlier, often then we go back, ah, well, that's over, back to normal. Well, it's never going to get back to normal until we really understand the original trauma, the personal trauma that expresses itself in our families, and we really begin developing a healing cycle. Well, thank you for all that. I couldn't agree more. And so now we come to a place in the show where we need to chill a bit with some music. And you've requested, uh, Jed, one of my favorite pieces, which was written by the guy who sings the theme song for the Lifeboat Hour, mm -hmm. Leonard Cohen. Uh, the song is Hallelujah, and it's sung by another Canadian, K.D. Lang. Let's listen. Hallelujah. 
That was Katie Lang singing Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, and this is the Lifeboat Hour. I'm your host, Carolyn Baker, and tonight I'm talking with author, psychotherapist, and friend, Jeb Diamond. Um, He's written a new book called The Enlightened Marriage, and he's going to be talking specifically about a part of it called The Power of Two, How Couples Can Change the World. Of course, we're talking about a lot of other things connected with this, Um, We're talking about a different way of living our lives and a different way of creating loving relationship with the earth community and with each other. 
Now, Jed, the title of your new book, The Power of this chapter in your book, The Power of Two, I'd like you to tell us more about what you mean by that and how it works. And I can only imagine that taking on this one together as a couple can deepen and strengthen a partner relationship like nothing else. Tell us more, if you would. Sure, Carolyn. I I think the context for this is when we look at what's the characteristic of civilization one, and what I've come to see is that, again, the original trauma was a separation where we separated from that partnership with the earth. And so we became isolated. We became, it's just me. And that could be just me as an individual or just me as a human species that doesn't need the rest of the world. And it kind of finds its modern uh, ex- expression in the, the kind of dominant male culture of the lone ranger, the lone gunman, the rugged individualist, you know, who's, you know, going to be the hero that's going to do the the things out there, and we don't need anybody else. And I think part of what the, the sickness is of the world and that what Civ 2 is, is recognizing needs to be healed is that we really are not lone rangers. We really only exist as part of a collective. And in some ways we can say, well, we're, we're all part of everything, but in practical terms, it's hard to get our, even our minds around connected to everything. So part of what I've recognized is that there's a power of two that is a, a, a way of being between the individual and, that doesn't really exist and the, the connected to everything which is, exists but is a little hard to understand and hard to relate to. So one way in this power of two manifests is as couples. And as part of what I found in my counseling practice and that I described in the new book is that as couples really do their own healing and they reach a stage of their life where they begin to go, I, I want to do more in the world. I want to give back. I, you know, I want to not just do my own thing, but what is my gift to the world, I'm recognizing that we can do that better if we're part of a couple. And that can be part of a, you know, a love relationship, a romantic relationship, a marriage, or it can be manifested in larger couplings that are not just love relationships. Uh, uh, my colleague uh, Joshua Wolf Shank wrote a book called The the powers of two, and he talks about the myth of the lone genius, the the savior prophets, and helps us recognize that they're pairings of people, that there really are no lone individual uh, creators or powerhouses that do it all alone. There's often somebody either obviously a partner or sometimes somebody behind the scenes that's really allowing this person that may be the identified uh, powerhouse out there to do his work or her work, that there's a couple often. And that's part of what I want to help 
surface, generate, and hopefully help other people connect more deeply with. Well, you know, there's a real historical precedent for this. There have actually been some pairings throughout history that have made enormous difference, and I wondered if you'd refresh our memory about some of those. Yeah, well, you know, a, a couple that we've all, you know, we hear about, for instance, you know, everybody knows Martin Luther King Jr. and, you know, his, you know, work in the world and the changes that he brought about. But often we're not aware of the the pairing. In his case, Ralph Abernathy was a partner in all of that, and where Abernathy was more the the thinker and the behind-the-scenes, Martin Luther King, of course, the great orator and speaker, but that was a powerful pair. Uh, right. Another one that, you know, that, uh, again, most people are not aware of. Everybody knows the Dalai Lama and his, you know, presence in the world, but uh, most people don't know the name Tenzin Getchi, who is mm-hmm. the Dalai Lama's private secretary, or we might call him chief of staff, for more than 45 years. And... Again, they really work together. Uh, it wasn't just the Dalai Lama. Of course, we, we know pairs that we, we recognize as being partners like John Lennon and Paul McCartney uh, or Simone de Beauvoir and Jean-Paul Sartre or Francis Crick and James Watson, you know, the du- double helix. So what, what, what I think this surfaces is this, you know, this old Civ one notion that individuals can make a difference or individuals cut off from the collective can be successful in the world. And I think we're coming back in Civ two to recognizing the power of two. So I'm drawing together individual couples that I know that are making a difference in the world and sharing their stories and hopefully encouraging other couples to uh, to find ways they can make a difference in the world, and for all of us, whether we're in a, a coupled relationship or not, to recognize the partnerships that we have that can make this this time that can be pretty lonely. Uh, doing it alone can help us really make a difference when we do it together. Yeah, and you know the first uh, two couples or the two first two partners that you mentioned are not romantically involved at all. You know, this was exactly. like a, a, a coupling of the heart. And one of the things you tell us in the book, Jed, is that in order to be most effective as a married couple or any other kind of creative pair, we have to understand and embrace our personal traumatic stories. Again, we come back to trauma, uh, as well as the traumatic story of our present Civ One way of life, and I'm sure our listeners would like to hear more about this. Well, there's there's been a uh, a national excuse me a national study that's been going on for I guess close to I don't know 15 to 20 years now that many people don't know about. It's called the ACE studies, A C E, and a stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. And it was an interesting, you know, study. It started out with a, a doctor at Kaiser Hospital uh, looking at people who had uh, problems with weight gain. And they found that they helped people lose weight and they lost sometimes hundreds of pounds, but within a short amount of time, the weight came back. And what they began to notice was that 
the people that had problems with keeping the weight off had trauma in their background. They came from families that had abuse, neglect, or abandonment. And they thought, well, maybe we ought to study this a bit more. And what they found was that when they looked at health issues years later, heart disease, cancer, as well as mental health issues, depression, anxiety, and so on, they found a direct link between the adverse childhood experiences that were many of them very common, as common as divorce or parents, you know, having a drinking problem or a mental illness. Um, and for every ACE, every adverse childhood experience you had, your risk of having a later physical, mental, or emotional problem went up as a straight line. So in other words, if you had two ACEs, your, your chances doubled. If you had three ACEs, your chances of, of having one of these illnesses went up again and four and five and six. And in my clients, I often see people with seven, eight, you know, aces out of ten of the, the original questions that they asked. So what I recognize is, again, this correlation between trauma and all the problems that we have that we, until recently, would tend to treat individually. In other words... If you go into the doctor and, and you get treated for heart disease, rarely do they ask what was the trauma back when you were a child that may have contributed to your later heart disease. You just, you know, get medications and you get surgery and whatever. But what we found is that if you don't treat the trauma, often the problems persist or you solve one problem and you create another. Well, again similar kind of connection to, I think, what we're seeing in the world, where if we don't recognize the trauma of what we're doing to our climate, what we're doing to the environment, what we're doing to, you know, increasingly taking out, you know, more of the earth and turning it into garbage or into, you know, things that end up in landfills, this just isn't a sustainable way of living. You know, we can't keep doing this, obviously, and uh, clearly if we don't change that, we're no longer going to be part of the community of life. We'll be one of the species that came and uh, blossomed for a time and then disappeared. Yes, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, so, you know, the whole subject of trauma is, is so so broad and it reaches so far beyond our, our personal stories because we are now looking at the trauma of the planet, the trauma of our species, the trauma of the entire Earth community. Um, one of the people that has influenced you to some extent um, that, that you've mentioned is author Sam Keen, uh, also from California, and he has a four-part ethic that I really love and, and I'd like you to share it with us. Yeah, Sam, Sam is, uh, you know, a psychologist, author, philosopher, uh, involved in, in the men's movement and men's work. He wrote a book called Fire in the Belly. Um, and he, he made a very, I thought, profound and, and simple statement uh, that has kind of guided my thinking uh, ever since I first heard it. And he says this. He says, the radical vision of the future 
It is a radical vision. The radical vision of the future rests on the belief that the logic that determines either our survival or our destruction is simple. He says, number one, the new human vocation is to heal the earth. Two, we can only heal what we love. Three, we can only love what we know. And four, we can only know what we touch. So what it says to me is, you know, one, if we're not going to take care of the earth, and that means the physical earth, you know, we can't keep turning our, you know, our, our earth that grows food into deserts and uh, where we can't grow food. Uh, we, we've got to take care of our water and all the other things that are necessary to promote life. And it, if all of us, each in our own way, need to find the part of that statement that resonates for us, you know, what are each of us going to do to heal our little part of the earth? And to do that, we have to love some little part of the earth. And to do that, we have to know some part of the earth, and we need to get in touch with some part of the earth. And the related part of that for me is that we might recognize that we have to also heal ourselves. This is, you know, not a out there versus in here. It's, it's all together. So we might say the new human vocation is to heal ourselves. And we can only heal ourselves if we love ourselves. And we can only love ourselves if we truly get to know ourselves, including the trauma that we've experienced. And we can only know ourselves if we really get deeply in touch with ourselves. And so that's really been kind of my continued search, my continued work, my continued joy, uh, because whatever the future is, this moment in time is what we have and it truly is you know an honor to be alive at all an honor to be here at this time and an honor to be allowed to continue this deep process of healing that i think everybody who's listening and everybody to some degree is feeling that it's our time to go deeper Well, thank you. That is so well said. Um, You know, my friend Guy McPherson uh, constantly points out how amazing it is, what a miracle it is that we are alive at all. You know, that if the planet were just a couple inches closer to the sun or a couple inches farther away, uh, that we couldn't be here. You know, we wouldn't exist. And this whole preciousness of life and preciousness of the earth, um, it, it's, it's, I, you know, I, I use this all the time in my work because, and I see this healing of ourselves and our connection with the earth is really going together. Um, I'm not an eco-psychologist, but I have great admiration for, for the wonderful eco-psychologists that are alive and, and those way back like Rachel Carson and Theodore Rozak, um, who, who drew to our attention our intimate connection with the earth. And, um, a week ago I was at a conference and I was co-facilitating with another person and we did this 
exercise where we invited people to go out and we were in this beautiful area in the Midwest and and just go out and we gave them some specific things to do in terms of feeling, smelling, touching, tasting the earth. Mm. And uh, it was it was. Uh, you know, an amazing experience because lots of these people in their heads would say, oh, I'm really connected with the earth, I really want to be connected with the earth, but they haven't been from the body. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we gave them this experience, and then uh, after we processed that, uh, you know, maybe a half hour later, we sent them out again, and we said, now go out and begin to say goodbye to the earth. This Mm -hmm. This is your last day here. Um, what do you want to say to those trees? What do you want to say to those animals? Um, very, very powerful. And and it and all goes back to something I call earth eroticism, you know, that that right now if we don't do anything else but just fall back in love with the earth or maybe for the first time ever, you know, that that will be a huge transformation that can change our lives. Indeed. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm wondering, Jed, do you have any events coming up in the near future that we should know about in addition to the releasing of your forthcoming book or any thoughts you'd like to leave us with? Yeah, I think the the, the thing that I'm uh, most excited about is this notion of how do we come together in our local communities to support people that are ready to get off the sinking ship of Civilization One and get in the lifeboats and connect, you know, in moving towards Civ 2. So uh, we're doing things locally here where I live, but we're connecting with people that are doing things in communities, you know, all over the world. So if people would like to hear more about, you know, Civ 2 as we, you know, envision it uh, and the work that I'm doing and Mark Feenstra down in uh, New Zealand, people want to email me you know, at jed at menalive.com and just put Civ2 in the uh, subject line and hopefully respond to my spam filter if you're writing for the first time. I'd be glad to send, you know, your listeners any updated information and ways they can get involved if they'd like to. Okay, very good. That's jed at menalive, and that's M-E-N-A-L-I-V-E dot com. Um, and tell us again the the full title of what your book is going to be and who's who's uh, releasing it, publishing it, and so forth. Yeah, the, uh, the 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 title of the book is The Enlightened Marriage, um, and it's published by Career Press. It's a uh, a small publisher uh, in the East, in New Jersey, and uh, it will be out uh, next year. And if people uh, want to keep in touch with me, I have a, as you know, a free uh, mailing list and newsletter uh, where I let people know about upcoming events and things that I'm doing and would be happy to let people know as the book goes from uh, uh, finish to being out in the world, and we'll definitely keep people posted. Okay, that's menalive.com. And are you doing any workshops anytime soon, uh, anywhere? Just locally here in, in Willits. Uh, I, I do things uh, here in our local town uh, at different times in our local. Uh, we have a, a program called Avenues to Wellness where we bring together practitioners and people that are doing 
this kind of healing work. If people are in, in our area uh, in, in Willits on October 17th, that's our next big community walk that we do. Uh, and, again, I can let people know about that if you're in the area or would like to come for a visit to Willits. I'd enjoy showing you around and, and walk in our community together. Just curious, uh, Jed, uh, how, how are you guys dealing with the drought? Uh, well, in different ways. We were one of the first small towns that back in actually early part of summer announced uh, that the drought was here. And and even if we got, you know, some more rain, this is, again, not a problem that's just going to go away. So the, the city and city council uh, voted to, you know, take measures to really cut back on on our usage of water and look at, you know, how we're using water, looking at our agricultural practices, because it isn't just, you know, taking short of shorter showers, but as you know, uh, uh, certain food requires a lot more water to, to make. Uh, you know, if you're a meat eater, you're spending a lot more of your water uh, allotment to uh, to eat meat because we're growing food that you then feed to cattle to eat the cattle. So there's a lot that we're doing here in our local community to try to, you know, deal with the fact that this is a resource that's scarce and we need to do a better job of saving what we have and trying to cut down on our usage so we can uh, be around here for a while. Well, thank you so much, Jed Diamond, for being with us tonight on the Lifeboat Hour. And, folks, you can contact Jed and learn more about his work and his new book, The Enlightened Marriage, at his website, menalive.com. Thank you, Jed, for being with us. Thank you so much. And have a good week, everyone. We'll see you next Sunday night, same time, same place. The poor stay poor, the rich get rich. That's how it goes. Everybody knows Everybody knows that the boat is leaking Everybody knows